This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We spoke on last week's show about how we could have a couple of guests on here. One, a local professor of infectious disease to educate us about some important topics in that area, but we have not yet heard back from the good professor. And although we were very much looking forward to bringing Emily Lakdawalla on the program to talk about the Dawn mission's successful injection into orbit around the asteroid series where it's going to be parked for the next few months, I came to realize that uh, the spacecraft is actually on the far side of Ceres, the dark side. So there ain't going to be no pictures for the next few weeks. So there's not going to be a whole lot of good science for the next few weeks. So I think we ought to postpone Emily for a few weeks. But uh, no matter, we've got a lot of catching up to do. About every month we have to do a show where we just try and get through the many files we amass for the show. And I guess today is going to be one of those shows. It's number 665 if you're keeping score on our website, meaning that next week will be the long-awaited show number 666. Yeah, we intend to spend most of next week's show taking a look at Beelzebub, Lucifer, the Beast, Satan, you know, the Devil. We think it's time he got his due on this show. Although we are still seeking someone to come on and play the devil's advocate. In fact, in anticipation of some proceedings along those lines, we want to warn the devil right now that you have the right to remain silent. And then anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of inquiry. And if you can't afford legal representation, the court, that would be us, is going to appoint someone for your benefit. Of course, we do want to point out to the devil that if he wants to bring along some of the lawyers from down below and be sure the place is full of them, he is welcome to do so. Let's start today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. The date in question today is the 12th of March, which was a pretty eventful day as things go in world history. Starting with on March 4th in the year 604, Pope Gregory I, architect of the medieval papacy and staunch supporter of monasticism, died in Rome. Gregory the Great, as he was also known's reforms in the Mass, gave rise to the Gregorian chant. Mr. McMillan, for those who don't remember what that was all about. And it was on March 12th in 641 that the Tibetan king Songzan Gambo married Chinese princess Wen Chang. This marriage would later form the basis for China's incredibly lame claim to sovereignty over the entire region. And I have to admit, we had to let a professor of supposed history at CSUS have it some years back when she cited that as an example of why. Well, of course China owns Tibet. Kind of like saying, well, if Henry VIII married a Spanish princess, and he did, well, then he should have control over Spain, don't you think? Anyway, moving right along, on March 12th in 1088, French Cardinal Odo of Lagari was elected as Pope Urban II. It was during his 11-year reign that Urban would launch the first of a dozen or so rather evil adventures known to history as the Crusades. 
Red Letter Day in radio was on March 12, 1933, that the newly inaugurated U.S. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt delivered the first of his national radio addresses, which came to be known as Fireside Chats. And finally, it was on March 12, 1968, that U.S. Senator Eugene McCarthy surprised the sitting president, Lyndon Johnson, in the New Hampshire Democratic presidential primary. He polled 42% against Johnson's 48%. This stunningly good showing led LBJ to withdraw from the presidential race. We were privileged on this program many years ago to have Senator McCarthy on as a guest. And I'm pleased to note that while visiting Washington, D.C., the then KDVS general manager and I went over to visit the senator in his retirement facility and spent uh, something like 90 minutes of just very, very interesting conversation. And boy, do I wish the hell I had a recording of that evening. Our quote of the day comes from physicist Max Planck, who said, A new scientific truth does not triumph by convincing its opponents, but rather because its opponents eventually die. You know, I'm currently reading a book about the Nobel Prize, which I'm not going to say anything more about today, except that it had some interesting little anecdotes in it. One included former Radio Parallax guest and legendary physicist, Freeman Dyson. In fact, let me take a moment to quote from that book. This book, the Nobel Prize by Burton Feldman, in discussing the somewhat esoteric field of quantum electrodynamics, noted that the 1965 Nobel Prize was awarded to Feynman, Schwinger, and Tomonaga, who'd all done research in this area along different lines. Freeman Dyson came along, looked at all three of their approaches, which were apparently markedly different, and did the math to show that they were all going to gain the same results. Which has to be a bit of a showstopper of a mathematical feat. But uh, unfortunately, when it comes to awarding Nobel Prizes, they'll give give them out in ones, twos, or threes. And back in 1965, that meant that Freeman Dyson was the fourth man, the odd man out. He did not get a Nobel Prize for this work. Dyson is a highly interesting character, and we will refer you to our archives where we spent an hour with a guy who was unfairly excluded from the, by the Nobel Committee in many people's eyes. We should note, though, that in, in 2000, he won the Templeton Prize for his efforts to show that science and faith can coexist. And our quip of the day comes from Larry King, who once said, I think it's said on many occasions, I never learned anything while I was talking. And you know, since Larry talks quite a bit, We're sure that must cut down on his learning time. Our stat of the day is that 91% of Democrats, 78% of independents, and even 51% of Republicans think the government should be fighting climate change. Gotta say, this correspondent was going through some of the archives amassed for this program, material that was set aside in case we wanted to go back and use it. And boy, was that depressing when I hit the file on global warming. But we'll talk about that in another show. Suffice it to say that the handwriting has been on the wall for quite some time now, along with such statements as those we quoted in the show back in about 2006 saying, you know, if we don't do anything by the year 2015, we're sunk. Let's instead talk about some good news. And our good news for this week's show is that for the first time in more than a century, in more than a century, researchers have found newborn tortoises on the Galapagos Islands. The tiny offspring are prey for invasive rats, which decimated the tortoise population after arriving on ships in the 17th and 18th centuries. 
Now, three years after the island of Pinzon was declared rat-free, conservationists have found 10 baby saddleback tortoises. Of course, I have to pause and say, gee, did somebody notice something was wrong that for the last 100 years there have been no baby tortoises? Well, better late than never. We're glad they've gotten rid of the rats and they can now reproduce. All right, our anecdote for this week's show comes from serial embellisher and liar Bill O'Reilly. We talked on last week's program about O'Reilly's lie that he heard the gunshots upon the suicide of JFK assassination figure George DeMornschild. But apparently O'Reilly is under further attack for other things he has said which were just flat out not true. It's noted that after Mother Jones magazine accused him of exaggerating his proximity to danger while covering the 1982 Falklands War, O'Reilly uh, took to the airwaves and labeled Mother Jones as David Korn a far-left zealot and an irresponsible gutter snipe and made public threats toward other reporters covering what he called a smear job. But questions have now arisen about several other self-aggrandizing O'Reilly claims, noted by Errol Lewis in CNN.com, including whether he actually witnessed the murder of four nuns in El Salvador, which it's hard to believe he made that claim, but I guess he did, or that he was attacked with bricks during the 1992 Los Angeles riots. Noted CNN.com, but rather than admit he screwed up and told a few puffed-up exaggerations, O'Reilly's responded with the snarling, empty threats of a coward. You know, I think we are overdue here for our joke of the day, which is as follows. Why don't you play golf with Jim anymore? The wife asked her husband. Well, would you play with someone who moves his ball into a better lie when no one's looking? Who'll deliberately cough halfway through his opponent's backswing? And will flat out lie about his handicap? Well, no, said the wife. I guess I wouldn't. Well, yeah, said the husband. And neither will Jim. And on a considerably less funny topic, we have the uh, goings-on over in Israel right now. In Tel Aviv on March 7th, something like 60,000 Israelis turned out to protest Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's policies. Of course, you wouldn't know about that here because everyone's talking about his speech to Congress. How about this little blurb from the international media? Dateline Jerusalem. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says Israel will not cede territory due to the current climate in the Middle East, appearing to rule out the establishment of a Palestinian state. Netanyahu said any evacuated territory would fall into the hands of Islamic extremism and terror organizations supported by Iran. Sure. Therefore, there will be no concessions and no withdrawals. It is simply irrelevant. The statement was released by the Likud party on Sunday. Netanyahu is seeking to appeal to hardliners ahead of elections next week. Party spokesman Ellie Bennett said Netanyahu's 2009 speech calling for a Palestinian state alongside Israel is not currently relevant. The international community has long pushed for the creation of a Palestinian state on lands captured by Israel in the 1967 Mideast War. That's the part that I love about the headlines here. Israel will not cede territory to the Palestinians. Oh yeah, the territory that we, we, we took back in 1967, we're not just going to give that to them. I guess as former California S.I. Hayakawa once said about the Panama Canal, we stole it fair and square, we're keeping it. By the way, I've been sitting on this item since last November that the International Criminal Court decided not to prosecute Israel for its 2010 
raid on the flotilla of trying to bring supplies from Turkey to Gaza. I love their reasoning. Prosecutor Fatu Benesuda said a preliminary investigation concluded there was reasonable basis to believe war crimes were committed on May 31, 2010, adding, however, that the case lacks sufficient gravity required for the court to pursue it further, despite the deaths of eight Turkish citizens and one Turkish-American. We will return to this topic and more when we continue to discuss the issue of UC divestment, or at least voting to divest from corporations profiting from the Israeli occupation. Radio Parallax accepts that the time may be right for such actions. Of course, we hasten to add that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. And uh, definitely not those of Bibi Netanyahu. Oh, and by the way, it turns out this correspondent will not be traveling to Costa Rica and Nicaragua at least this month to try and report on what's going on with Lake Nicaragua. But an international group of scientists is now questioning this rush to build a canal across Nicaragua. A team of international scientists last week urged the project be postponed so that more detailed assessments can be done on the project and its potential impacts. We take it a step further. The project should not be done at all because it's going to destroy this beautiful and unique ecosystem of Lake Nicaragua's. It's the largest tropical freshwater lake in the Americas. It's Central America's primary freshwater reservoir, and it's the only place in the world you'll find freshwater sharks. Scientists are saying the biggest environmental challenge is to build and operate the canal without catastrophic impacts to this sensitive ecosystem. Well, there's no way this can be built without having such impacts. It's noted that significant impacts to the lake could result from incidental or accidental spills from the 5,100 ships, which would pass through it every year, not to mention the invasive species brought by transoceanic ships, which could threaten the extinction of aquatic plants and fish. And by the way, how is it that we allow all these ships to go around the world, filling up their ballasts with whatever local water they have and then discharging it wherever they wind up? There has to be a better way of doing business. Of course, it'll cost a little more. So you may have to shell out a few extra bucks for your Walmart sneakers, etc. But seriously, why do we allow this to continue? All right, another bit of follow-up, sort of where real life meets, uh, meets this radio show, was a call I got for a friend asking for antibiotics for his son. We'd just gone over this bit last week's program about how this one particular case of someone getting a fecal transplant from an obese person apparently resulted in the recipient becoming obese herself. Let me quote from the side I've been sitting on since October 17th. To quote, doctors have long been wary of children building up a resistance to antibiotics, but a new study has provided another incentive for keeping the prescription pad in the physician's pocket, the risk of obesity. Researchers at the University of Pennsylvania recently reviewed the health records of 64,000 children, almost 70% of whom had been given antibiotics before age two. They received an average of 2.3 courses. By age five, those that had been given only a couple of courses during their early years had the same risk of obesity as those who received none. But kids who were treated with four or more courses were 11% more likely to be obese. Furthermore, those who had multiple courses of more powerful broad-spectrum antibiotics were 16% more likely to gain weight. Penn professor Charles Bailey, who led the study, believes 
that the antibiotics are killing off natural bacteria in the stomach and intestines that help keep weight in check. He admits that the risks of obesity are small and antibiotics are probably just one of many factors, but he says the link may highlight an important piece of the puzzle. Well, yeah. As reported on this program, and hopefully we'll get Dr. Stuart Cohn to comment on this, in feedlots all across America, animals are given antibiotics, not because they have infections, but because we know that it makes them gain weight. Through means that are still incompletely understood, killing off of the gut bacteria of chickens, pigs, cattle, etc. makes them put on weight faster. And of course, the obvious question, could this be happening to people as well as one we're finally getting around to taking a look at? Well, it's high time. And from the good news file, we have this piece. The Washington Post noted some months back that the physiological benefits of physical exertion are well documented. It releases endorphins, which combat pain, and endocannabinoids, which induce pleasure. And now a Swedish study found that exercise may also reduce the risk of becoming depressed. Hello? Well, yeah, apparently researchers at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden posited that the protein PGC1-alpha-1, which increases in muscles during exercise, actually protects the brain from depression. To which I'd have to add, regardless of what the protein or mechanism is, it seems clear to this correspondent that if you exercise more, you feel better. If you feel better, you're less prone to depression. I'd have to add, for this, they had to do a study at an institute? Speaking of studies at institutes, Marcos Koulinakos, better known as Angelo Sakopoulos' son-in-law, well, is also advertised as a research fellow at the Central European University and a visiting fellow at the Hoover Institution. He keeps writing these pieces for the B that, for some reason, they keep printing. The headline to last Sunday's piece was, authoritarian, was authoritarian regimes silence the opposition. Hold on to your hats. God, what's next from Marcos? Popes tend to be Catholic. And we're also looking forward to bears tend to perform their bodily functions in the woods. This might be a good time to jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for expanding your mandate. This comes in the wake of a DEA agent telling Utah lawmakers that legalizing the cultivation of marijuana in the state could lead to wild rabbits getting high on it and losing their natural instincts. And yes, we too were unaware of the fact that the DEA considers the behaviors of wild rabbits to be something in their bailiwick. But I guess when you're trying to find a way to justify your pointless existence, or in this case, the pointless pursuit of the war on cannabis, well, sometimes you get pretty desperate. And it was a bad week last week for conspicuous consumption with the news that presidential hopeful Jeb Bush has asked his donors to contribute no more than $1 million to his campaign this quarter. Said a Bush aide, Jeb does need substantial funds, but he doesn't want the focus to be on money. And it was an ugly week last week for the long-suffering Republic of Zimbabwe when it was revealed that Zimbabwean president and election stealer Robert Mugabe drew international condemnation this week 
after eating the meat of a baby elephant at his 91st birthday bash. The party at the Elephant Hills Hotel in Victoria Falls featured a banquet of various exotic or endangered animals, as well as a large cake sculpted into a bust of Mugabe. The opposition, the Movement for Democratic Change, called the festivities an obscene jamboree and that the more than $1 million it cost would have been better spent rehabilitating the collapsed public hospitals, clinics, and rural schools. And although I have to admit it's an extremely unkind thing to say, I do wish that Robert Mugabe would drop dead at the nearest available opportunity. We're very confident that shortly afterwards he will be burning in hell. And finally, it was both a bad and ugly week this last week for what we would have to term burning in hell in a timely manner with the news that a Massachusetts teenager has been charged with involuntary manslaughter after she allegedly encouraged her boyfriend to commit suicide. Michelle Carter, age 18, was indicted by a grand jury six months after her boyfriend, Conrad Roy, also 18, was found dead from carbon monoxide poisoning in his car. Authorities haven't yet offered a motive in the case, but after studying more than a thousand text messages exchanged by the couple, investigators suspect Carter had hoped to win sympathy through her boyfriend's death. She texted Roy, who had a history of mental illness, let me know when you're going to do it on the day that he actually killed himself. Police say that hours later, when Roy sent her a message saying he'd left his car because he was scared, Carter replied, get back in. And you know, we don't use some good old-fashioned words like evil as much as we should, perhaps, but I think that just qualifies as evil. All right, we're up against it on time. Need to take a short break, but now that I've painted myself into a corner, we're not going to end on that item. So let's see what else we got, Mr. McMillan, shall we? All right, let's close with a couple of good news items. Apparently, according to the New York Times, McDonald's is moving to limit antibiotics in its chicken, to which we say, hooray. According to the piece by Stephanie Strom, McDonald's said last Wednesday that it would begin using chicken from birds that are not raised with antibiotics used to treat humans. Because the fast food chain is one of the biggest buyers of chicken in the United States, McDonald's actually sells more chicken than beef, The move is likely to have a major impact on the way poultry is raised and the kind of chicken that gets served by restaurants. McDonald's also announced that later this year it would give customers the choice of low-fat and chocolate milk from cows that have not been treated with the artificial growth hormone RBST. And we would note that Stephen Roach, Food Safety Program Director for Food Animal Concerns, one of the advocacy groups involved in the coalition Keep Antibiotics Working, said the last time McDonald's did something like this, five other fast food companies made similar announcements within six months. I would expect we're going to see a similar pattern this time around. Anyway, good for McDonald's, really. And in a parallel story... It's revealed that Nestle is giving its recipes a makeover, according to Karma Allen, writing in CNBC.com. The Swiss Swiss confectioner said last week it would remove all artificial colors and flavors from its U.S. chocolates by the end of the year. My two cents would be that Nestle may want to consider actually adding chocolate to their chocolate. But if you're keeping score, the candy maker says it's going to replace the artificial ingredients with natural ones in more than 250 products across 10 brands, including Butterfinger, Nestle's Crunch, Milky Way, Baby Ruth, and Nestle Toll House. 
And on that note, I think we can take a short break. Who can take a sunrise? Sprinkle it with you. Cover it with chocolate and a miracle or two. The Candyman. When we come back, we're going to talk about the battle over UC, the battle over water, and we're actually going to talk about some medical stuff, which I cannot resist adding that when people ask me, oh, you have a radio program, these are people that know me in my capacity as a physician, say, oh, you must talk about medicine, to, to which I have to add, well, not very often, but we will today, so stick around. Can, the candy man can, because he mixes it with love and makes the world Good. Makes the world taste good. The candy man breaks everything he breaks. Satisfying and delicious. Now you talk about your childhood, which 